We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The show today is presented by MyBookie. This weekend, the UFC Bantamweight champion goes head-to-head with one of the most decorated combat athletes of all time in the main event at UFC 288. Tommy, are you going to watch UFC 288? No, I don't think I'll be watching it, but I'll read about it. You know, I don't have the same UFC interest that I used to have, but uh-huh. I'm in a minority. UFC is growing. Oh, it's it's massive, and my bookie has the matchup yes. between Sahedo and Sterling as a near coin flip. Most of the early money has come in on Sterling. If you're asking yourself why you should choose MyBookie over the competition, it's simple. They give you the best bang for your buck, period. You can score huge wins on boosted odds with MyBookie money bag or take advantage of every momentum swing with in-match live betting. Uh, Sign up today, bet with house money at my bookie, just use my promo code Kevin DC and grab yourself a welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. All right, Tommy is here. The last show we did was on Thursday before the draft, so um, right. I don't know what your draft thoughts are. Um, I had a very interesting conversation with Mike Jones from now The Athletic. You know, Mike writes for The Athletic now, not USA Today anymore. Uh, Mike, I, I read what you posted on social media. Yeah, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's certainly interesting, and it came from Mike, so we're going to discuss it um, for sure. Uh, I do want to talk some NBA playoffs later in the show. I promise it'll be later in the show. But I thought we should start with... The fact that we were together on Sunday at the D.C. Defenders game. The Defenders, I said, and they crushed <laughs> Seattle 37-21. to I talked a little bit about it on yesterday's uh, podcast, um, but it was great to be with you. It was a surprise to me. I didn't know Doc was coming. I'm glad Doc was there. Neither did I. I see Doc. I didn't know Doc would be there either. I see Doc more than I see you, um, but... Uh, it was great to see him, and and uh, you know John and Courtney English were great to host us. It was, yes, they were. It was a great. It was a really good atmosphere for the game. Excellent it atmosphere. Was, like I told you, yeah. I and, and that was on a rainy day, you know. Yeah. I mean, the sun started to come out later on, but uh, it really is. It's an organically good atmosphere. There's lots of reasons 
why that happens. You know, it's not simply because they're not the commanders, uh, although I think that's part of it. Uh, you could tell every home game there's a there's an F. Dan Snyder chant that goes on in in the stands, but uh, I didn't they've got it. something they've got something special that goes on there. Uh, you know, among the twenty thousand people that show up for games, I mean, it's it's, it's very it's very unique for DC right now. It would never happen, obviously, but it could have happened the last couple of years where they, you know, only had 20,000 or so tickets sold to a commander's game to play the game there. I understand it would never happen. Uh, this is a this is a pure hypothetical. I can tell you this, it would have been a phenomenal home field advantage if the 15 to 16,000 actual fans of the team that have continued to pay to go to the games in the last few years um, were all packed in with none of the opponent's fans in that stadium yeah. because that stadium retains the sound. It was loud. And I don't know what the, the crowd was. I know that it wasn't a sellout because the rain you know, kept people away, but it was right. still well attended. I would guess there were 12,000, 13,000 people there, and it was loud. It was it was it was fun, and you know what it yeah. is too, Tommy. It's a I guess, and I didn't say this yesterday. It's a reminder to me of not about the RFK days, okay? Because the RF the RFK days are you know so long in the rear view, and you were when you were going to RFK going to a destination. You weren't going there to you know hang out at the bars around the stadium or post game at the stadium there was lots of tailgating right. don't get me wrong but it's it's more in line with what we get at Nats games at Wizards and Caps games at Capital 1 when you have your arena or your stadium in the city within walking distance of things to do it's a totally different vibe than, than driving on the beltway for, you know, an hour and a half to pull into a big parking lot. And, yeah, you know, at FedEx over the years when you had good crowds, you have to go back several years now, and the tailgating scene was fun. I mean, hell, it was so much fun for me when I was doing the pregame show all those years when they actually had big games, and well, not many of them, but a couple of big crowds to walk through the parking lot and stop at one or two or three of the tailgates on my way into the pregame show at 9.30 a.m. That was fun, but that's still destination. Like, I want the new stadium downtown with development around it, and I want, you know, people walking from, you know, bars and restaurants right into the stadium. Uh, that's There's just a whole different vibe when you're in a city going to a sporting event. You know, uh, I was in Nashville last year, and uh, not, there in a, not for a football Sunday, but, uh, you know, Broadway is, yeah. Their big party street with all the bars yep. and restaurants, and and it's on a hill. Yep. And you walk downhill, and then you have this old bridge that goes across. Right. I guess it's the Tennessee River. Yep. But now it's a walking bridge. You know, it's a big walking bridge, and then from there you're just a stone's throw from the Titan Stadium. So I can't imagine, and they're, they're building a new stadium, I think, right next to it. So uh, I can't imagine what football Sundays are like in Nashville. Well, I mean, well, you know, hanging out on Broadway, taking that walk across the bridge uh, over to the stadium, it just must be a blast. 
I love Nashville too, and I've mentioned this many times before. My sister lives there, and so I love the city. I love everything about it. Um, Broadway is fun, especially you know if you haven't been. There's so many great neighborhoods and great spots in in Nashville, but Broadway is obviously where you know all you're hearing is you know open aired you know bars that are music venues, and it's you know it's all kinds of music too. It's not just country music, yeah. but when you walk down that hill and you cross that bridge, you know, to get to Nissan, uh, to get to Nissan Stadium. Before you get to that, you pass the arena. Um, I forget what the arena is called there, but the one where the Nashville Predators play. And that's become a big deal, too. You know, because uh, Nashville, weren't they in this? Were they in the Stanley Cup finals at some point recently? Or maybe they were really close to the Stanley Cup finals. I forget. But, um, but you have uh, you've got you know you get two you get the stadium which by the way they're going to build a new stadium um, and yes. you've got you know you've got the Nashville Predators no NBA no baseball yeah. Um, but yeah well plus you know that city's always on Broadway anyway always hopping I mean it's yeah awesome. o- always always hopping this is this is uh, arguments I've always had with economists about the value of a stadium. If you build a stadium by itself, it real and you're contributing public funds to that stadium, it's really washing it down the drain at that point. I mean, if you use that 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 stadium as an economic driver in a neighborhood that you know can be built up uh, into what we've just and what what we've seen down Nats Park now Nats Park. Isn't the only thing that drove that the Navy Yard development, others as well. But yeah, any stadium has got to have a component of creating business around it, yeah. or else it's just a waste. This is why in Philly, it always drives me nuts. I know for convenience-wise, all the stadiums down there, you know, Lincoln Financial Field, Citizens Bank Park, and and the arena, they're all right next to each other. But there's nothing there. You know, it's where the old stadiums were, right. and there was nothing there either. You know, I mean, this is why Josh Harris is trying to build a, a new arena for his 76ers in downtown Philly, in, in, in Chinatown. Uh, there's a different vibe when it's an urban type of uh, stadium. But I could tell you what, that they, they, they are, in terms of the commander stadium, I still think the path of least resistance is where they are now, and they have talked about plans for building a new one closer to the, what is it, the Morgan Station, I think, uh, Metro Stop or something like that. It's about a mile away now, and I think if you build a new stadium on, you know, near it, maybe it's only a half a mile away. Right. It, and you're, talking about the one, you're talking about the one in Landover. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, FedEx Field. Uh, you know, and uh, I mean, I think the idea is that you can create that kind of development between the Metro Stop and the stadium in that half mile stretch of land that you would have available to you. So, what do you think uh, happens? What do you think happens? I think that's where that's what's going to happen. I think I think the the path to RFK is just too difficult. Do you think uh, it's I, do, I, is it difficult because of 
um, the ability to get the land from the federal government, or is it difficult because that neighborhood is so different now and there's there's money, there's influence, and they don't want the stadium in that neighborhood, the people who live there? Both, both significant uh, contributing factors, and I think it's just going to be more expensive to build the uh, a facility itself in the district than it would be right next door to the existing stadium. Right. I just think the cost of the stadium will be more. I, I don't base that on any kind of construction, you know, experience. It's just my gut instinct that it's going to cost more to build that stadium uh, in the district than it would be in PG County. Uh, so uh, all those factors. Tommy, will they be able Look, I to? Hope, I hope. I hope it's down at, at, at next to RFK. Let's just that's say it's I, a, that's where I would like it to be. Let's say it's in Landover and they build it closer to that metro stop, the Morgan um, Boulevard metro stop. I think you mentioned. Um, they don't have to tear down FedEx to build the new one, right? They can play in FedEx. Yeah. I believe so. Okay. Yeah, just like the Giants did, right? With when they built their stadium, it's yeah. just like the Eagles did when they built their stadium. This is this is very common. Yeah, you know, it's it's not atypical. Uh, this is a lot of times the path that teams take. So uh, I think this is what the Titans are going to be doing. So, yeah, yeah. All right. Um. Let me just ask everybody to rate us and review us on Apple and Spotify, if you don't mind. And also follow us, uh, if you don't mind. Uh, on Apple, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, the follow button is in the upper right-hand corner. On Spotify, it's down the left-hand side, about halfway down. Um, it's big for us if you follow us. It's huge for us also if you you know, if you know, do what... Um, uh, what DCHJ22 did, which is say I lost it when Fred Smoot was naming the receivers like that he liked in the 2023 draft. Jordan, Addison, and Jackson Enigma. Gotta love him. <laughs> yeah. he, he did call uh, Jackson the Jigba, the Ohio State receiver, Enigma. But, yes, uh, you gave us five stars. And this one from SP McNamar. Um, more Smoot, please. Great show. I've been listening for four-plus years. I've never missed an episode. Cooley, Tom, uh, Doc are great, but none of them bring like Smoot. Please make him a regular guest. Yes, yeah, Smoot was on fire last week, and I had him on twice last week because I had him on Wednesday before the draft, and then because he nailed it on Forbes, I had him back on Friday. And look, if you think Fred Smoot's good when he doesn't know, when he's right, oh my God, he's phenomenal. And he was right (laughs) on Friday, uh, and he was a lot of fun. Um, And then this is from Tia L., uh, the constant back-and-forth Game of Thrones references with Fred Smoot is something you can do only with him, wink, wink. Yes, that's true. But then again, t- I, Tommy has nobody to talk to about The Wire because I never watched and still haven't watched The Wire. So there you go. Um, all right, so what did you think about the draft? Well, you know, uh, this is so difficult to talk about. You know, because there's, it, it, it's not quite the illusion that we have to do normally when talk about the team. But, you know, it's hard to talk about the draft when, A, I don't know nearly as much as most of the people who analyze the draft, and they usually eventually are wrong a lot of times. So if the experts are often wrong, 
How the hell can I talk about the draft? Right. You know? But I'll give it a try. Okay. I'll give it a try. Love to hear the okay? truth. Yeah. You know, do we think Eric Bieniemy was running around the draft room uh, out there at the commander's headquarters saying, defense, Ron, defense, more <laughs> defensive players. Yes, yes, go for those defensive backs. <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. Probably not. You know, it seemed like Bucky Brooks pointed out on the NFL He's Network. He's good. I like Bucky it Brooks. Seemed, it seemed kind of foolish to bring on Eric Bieniemy and wait until the, the, the sixth draft pick to bring on a, an offensive skill player. Now, granted, we know the commanders have good offensive skill players already, but uh, I just don't understand the logic in, in what they were doing. Uh, me, I would have been, been picking offensive tackles until the cows came home, offensive linemen, uh, especially if you have to face the Eagles twice a year. But that's just me. Uh, everyone says they, had, they filled their needs and they had a decent draft. Who am I to argue with that since I know less than them? Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I, I talked about this yesterday. I actually have a new observation courtesy of my good friend Ben Standig, who I consider to have a really sharp opinion, and I'll get to that in a moment. But, um, no, that's – I like you saw it set records for television numbers. I mean, it's, it's like, yeah, just it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's amazing. And it, and, it's, and it was on, like, 65 channels. It's on th- I swear to God. It's on ESPN, ABC, and the uh, NFL no, no, Network. No. no, listen. Listen, I was flipping channels, and I saw Mel Kuyper on C-SPAN. I'm not kidding. <laughs> he was on MeTV. That's where you watch Kojak, isn't it? <laughs> um, I, I, uh, so, I mean, I said this yesterday. It's like, it's such, it's entertaining. I love it. I love watching it. I mean, you know, Saturday's kind of boring. Um but uh, the weather wasn't great, and I watched, you know, some of it during the day on Saturday. Um, uh, to me, like, I don't know what I'll do when Mel Kuyper finally retires. I'll be really upset. Um, this was his 40th year on ESPN, and they celebrated those 40 years. I watch the ESPN broadcast, not the ABC broadcast, not the NFL Network. Do I flip around occasionally? Yeah. But the point is, is that, like, you know, I'm being repetitive here, and I'm also repeating what you just said. Two-thirds of the players that were picked on Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday won't be contributors within three years. And none of the teams know exactly which one of the three is going to be the contributor when this thing is over. So the mock drafters and the so-called experts and analysts, they really don't know. So now with that said, there's such an importance to using the NFL draft to build your roster. You know, in so many ways it can become the foundation of your team and sometimes a good team. I mean, you go back to, I mean, hell, we've seen it. You go back to the 70s, the Cowboys and the Steelers. They drafted better than anybody. They were also light years ahead, the Cowboys were, in the use of a lot of different things that teams weren't using back then. Things like, you know, certain kind of drills that ended up being in the Indy Combine and certain kinds of psychological, you know, profiling um, that they would do. But anyway, uh, drafting is important to your team, but it's just a crapshoot. It just really is. So 
to be definitive about anything is kind of annoying to me. Um, there are yeah. players that I like, and because I'm a big college football fan, I will say I really like that guy, and I, you know, and I'll say I think he's got a really good chance to be a good player. But even I know in saying that, there, there's a decent chance I'll be wrong because. I didn't sit in and interview this guy. I don't know whether or not he loves football, if he's motivated. I don't know whether or not he fits the scheme necessarily of the team that he plays on. I don't know. There's just so much. And then there are certain positions, and we talked about this before, like offensive line. Like, come on. Like, I I had I, – I'll, I'll net it out because I want to move on from this. I don't want to read an email about Washington's draft, and I want to mention something that Ben Standing mentioned to me, which I thought was good. But – um. I had a lot of people say to me, my God, what are they doing drafting Quan Martin at 47 in the second round? They so overdrafted him. What are they doing drafting Ricky Stromberg? I mean, what do you know? How do you know they overdrafted him? And, you know, yeah, I, know. I mean, that's the point here is that you, you're you going based off of the consensus of mock drafters, not the consensus of the NFL teams and their boards. And, Tommy, I talked to somebody at length over the weekend um, uh, who said to me, and I said this yesterday, but I'll say it to you, drafting's different than it used to be, and you're going to like part of this. Number one is, you know, if you go back 15 years, there wasn't nearly the emphasis on, you know, there was always there's always been an emphasis on character and any kind of major red flags players have been avoided. But now the amount of you know, psychological, you know, in, in in profiling, for the lack of a better description, is so intense. They want to make sure that this investment that they're making is into somebody that they can coach, somebody that is smart enough to get what they're doing, somebody that isn't going to be a major problem in the locker room, on and on and on. Number two is that there's much more today drafting for need than what Bobby Bethard and Charlie Casserly would say over and over again. Once you draft for need, you get yourself into big trouble. And the reason for that... Well, as you know, as you know I, that, that would be my philosophy. And we differ on this. I know. You would draft for need, yes. Yeah. And I've told yeah. you all along, I wouldn't because Bobby Bethard, who is a Hall of Fame general manager... Uh, and Charlie Casserly, who was a you know many many decade general manager in the league, said, "You don't do that. That's what gets you in trouble." Um, but this person told me over the weekend. They said, "There's more drafting for need nowadays because there's more trying to get players to be successful early, and it's a combination of need and then scheme fit. Like you know what you play, you know how you play it, and you know." whether or not this player may be may not have the measurables of another player um, may not have the ceiling of another player athletically or otherwise but you uh, you know he can play for you and you know he can play for you sooner rather than later how good he'll end up being you know may be a mystery but there's a lot more of that and then with this specific draft in particular, it was really considered to be a bad draft by a lot of the NFL people. Um, and that, you know, there was a lot more of, you know, this guy, you know, could be drafted in the second round or he might be in the fifth round. There was just a, a much greater disparity in opinion on players, in part because everybody was trying to find the guys that could play because there weren't as many this year. So 
I am annoyed by the people that are definitive in their opinion about a player that's drafted and or you know definitive in knowing that Ricky Stromberg or Quan Martin were overdrafted. I don't think you know enough to know that. Because I, I, I agree. Jahan Dotson last year, everybody said was overdrafted. And there are multiple people that would say that Dotson wouldn't have lasted more than another four or five picks. This year, Emmanuel Forbes, you know, people are, they overdrafted Forbes. I saw him, I saw him on, you know, somebody's big board at 37 and at 36. No way was Forbes going to last another five picks, according to people in the know. Um, and then, you know, if, if, if you're going, if you're going to do that, by the way, as a way to criticize this organization and Ron in particular, then you must give him great credit for where they drafted Sam Howell last year, because they got a steal with Howell in the fifth round. They, he was way underdrafted. He should have gone much earlier. So they're brilliant. And so that's, um, a segue actually into an email that I want to read to you. Um, but before that, let me just mention yeah, go ahead. Before that, you know, uh, you know. Now that you're on ten to one, uh, and if I'm on the road, I get to listen to you more. Yeah. Okay. So I think I think it was on Monday. It might have been Monday. Uh, you had Ben standing on, and I'm listening to two of you, and the, the two of you are really geeking it up about the draft. You know, you're just like you just you just can't talk enough about the draft. You know, and. And I'm thinking, you must, I must really be a disappointment to you sometimes. <laughs> no, you're not. Because I think, you know? oh, I, I, I know, I think <laughs> I've made this really clear, and I didn't used to feel this way. Um, but I think the last five, six, seven years, like, I can't remember the last time I graded the draft. I like just, it's stupid. I know what, I, I know what, I, I think I know what I don't know. <laughs> Um, some may disagree, <laughs> but this is, you know, what I described, but, you know, but the truth is, is from a content standpoint, there are so many people that are so into oh, yeah. this, but Ben actually, yeah. Ben and I were talking, um, a little while ago before we started to record this podcast and I'll tell you why, um, in a little bit, uh, but you know, we were talking about this very thing and he, you know, he completely agreed. He said, there's just one thing that I think you can actually get away with being, you know, somewhat like if you want to question something, he goes, I would question why they would go out in free agency and sign Nick Gates to the deal that they signed him to that looks like a pretty rich deal for a guy that's had some serious injury problems. They clearly want him to be the starting center. Um, they re-signed Tyler Larson to back up Nick Gates, presumably. And he said, I don't think it's crazy to be critical, not of the player that they selected in the third round, Ricky Stromberg, but that they drafted a center in the third round. Like, you typically want your third rounder, like last year's third rounder, Brian Robinson Jr., or the year before, Benjamin St. Juice was a third rounder. You, Antonio Gibson in 2020 was their third rounder. You know, you'd like your third rounder to play and contribute. Well, for Ricky Stromberg, he's a center. He may be your future center, but you drafted him in the third round, and more likely than not, if you got it right in free agency, He's not going to play because center is a position in which only one player 
can be out there at the, at this at the same time. You know, it's one thing if you've got two guards and you draft a guard in the third round, you know you're going to need depth because of injuries, etc. And they, you know, in their defense, they've had so many injuries to the center position in recent years. Um, but I thought that that was a good point. That you know, you can't be. You can't be definitive about the player unless you really have scouted and you've interviewed and the whole thing. Um, you can't right. be overly critical about where he was drafted either because you're so convinced the consensus mock boards are you know, the Bible. But you can be critical of the fact that they went out and they, they paid decent money more than decent money for Nick Gates to come in and be your center, and then they re-signed Tyler Larson, and then you drafted a center in the third round. I think that's a good point Um, because you want your – now, if you had drafted him in the fifth round, uh, that's your future center, hopefully, and you'll keep him, you know, on the practice squad or you'll keep him on the roster. But um, And I know that a lot of these linemen they draft have some positional flexibility, but they talked about Stromberg as a center, and that's the position he played at Arkansas, and he played it well. And, and a, yeah, and you know, plus plus, there's the problem of being able to reach him by phone. That's apparently a difficult situation for the football team. Did you know? We, did we they ta- struggled trying to get him by phone? Did we talk about this off the? No, we podcast? didn't. Okay, I mean, I I don't think I mentioned this yesterday. For those that missed it, when they went to call, like they've been tweeting out. Um, uh, the, the commander's uh, Twitter uh, account has been tweeting out the, you know, they tweeted out all these videos of Ron and Martin uh, and Marty right before they make the pick. And then, you know, it's, it's in the draft room and it's like, you know, they're, they're showing you what happened right before they made the pick. And for Ricky Stromberg, they had a phone number that wasn't working. So they couldn't reach Ricky Stromberg. Now they eventually did reach Ricky Stromberg but they put that out on Twitter, which, I mean, whatever. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and knock the fact that it kind of made them look foolish. Um, but the part that was just, did you watch the press conference that night when Martin Mayhew and Ron Rivera, it was like a community theater, uh, you know, a bad community yeah. theater skit where they thought yeah. it was the funniest yeah. thing that they'd ever been a part of. I it was it was dumb the whole thing. To me, look, I I can chalk it up to uh, a technological mishap, and you're right. The press conference, the, the explanation before, it was like an Abbott and Costello skit. A bad a bad one, it. a bad one. Yes, yeah, but you see, to me, and it's it's a mistake that could happen these days, you know, with technology and stuff. But the context of that, the context of everything, at the draft, and this just gets swept under the rug. Everything now for this football team with this coach is he didn't know his team's playoff opportunities at the end of this season. Yeah. He didn't know that. I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing that you pull a guy off the street and you ask him that question, you're going to get a 50-50 answer maybe as to what they know or what they don't know. <laughs> the coach, you know, I mean, it's just, that, that's like mind-blowing still, and it's just like just forgotten. That's the context to me. That's the guy who's picking your players. That guy. Yeah. Now, 
I totally agree with you. And so if you're leading towards, you know what, it's just in the overall context of the buffoonery of the other side of the building and the, you know, the chief blunder officer and all the blunders they make and the coach not knowing that they could have been eliminated from the postseason that, that night they lost to Cleveland after starting Carson Wentz and, and, and all of the you know going back and forth and weaving all around in, in, in answers about various topics, maybe that's one you don't want to tweet out. Like, okay, it's maybe somebody thought it was cute and funny, and clearly Ron and Martin, I mean, they thought it was the funniest thing that had ever happened yeah, to them. Um, but, but I get that. But, but I also want to say something that I've said before, which is the truth is about Ron Rivera with personnel is that it's been, worst case, a mixed bag. Best case, he has really done what he said he would do when he got here, and that is change the culture of the football side of the building with higher quality people and in some cases even players. And look, we can say all, the, all of their best players that he did not you know, draft. It's true. Right. Okay. But yes, he was is. able to retain them and sign yes, them to did. long-term deals. Terry McLaurin and, you know, uh, John Allen and Deron Payne didn't yeah. have to do that. They could have gone the franchise route or gone the free agency route and said, I don't want to be around this buffoon. Players do like him. Players like him. His former players like him. Um, and for whatever reason, as, as at times a little bit kind of clumsy – that he comes off to to maybe us and may, and many of you, he doesn't come off that way in that setting when maybe he's more of himself rather than you know the the bad theater routine uh, that they tried to put on the other night wasn't wasn't improved very well, um, but. Uh, but other than that, uh, you know, what are you going to say? I want to I want to read this email, and then I want to tell you what Mike Jones said. So this email, this email came from Victor, and it was really really good. Um, hold on for a second. I had it for a second. I had a second ago. Here it is. Um, and you can email us through the show's website at um, thekevinsheanshow.com. Victor's emailed a bunch. I've read Victor's emails on the show before. Victor, I think, has a pretty sharp opinion, and he wrote, Kevin, I'm really confused at the team's quarterback strategy. They have a nice team with no obvious answer at the most important position. They need to win this year to keep their jobs, and they're going with a promising maybe, but very inexperienced fifth-round pick and or a journeyman backup. Every team in the league heading into the offseason that had a question mark at quarterback did something with the exception of our team. The Jets traded for Rodgers. The, Raven, the Ravens eventually kept Lamar Jackson. Uh, the Saints signed Derek Carr and still drafted the guy you liked, Jake Hayner from Fresno State. The Giants re-signed Daniel Jones. The Seahawks re-signed Geno Smith. The 49ers brought in Sam Darnold and now have three guys to choose from. Even the Packers, who decided on Jordan Love, still drafted a guy. The Lions have their starter in Jared Goff, but because there are no guarantees, because it's Jared Goff, they drafted Hendon Hooker. The Bucks traded for Mayfield. 
I'll circle back to that one. The Panthers drafted Bryce Young. The Texans drafted C.J. Stroud. The Colts drafted Richardson. The Titans drafted Levis. Even the Raiders, who signed Jimmy Garoppolo, drafted the Purdue quarterback, Aiden O'Connell. The Rams, who have Stafford, still drafted a guy in Stetson Bennett. Hell, the Eagles, Chargers, and Vikings don't have QB needs, but they all drafted quarterbacks late in the draft. Drafting a quarterback every year should be the norm, especially for teams that don't have an obvious answer at quarterback. This was totally irresponsible by Ron Rivera. He put all of his eggs into the Carson Wentz basket last year, as you said to me, as you said over and over again to all of us, and it didn't work. The point is you can't put all of your eggs into one basket when that basket has holes. To make sure you don't end up with egg or eggs all over your face, make sure you can spread the eggs out into several baskets until you find the one that is stable and sturdy. Ron is a joke. Martin appears to be in way over his head. I hope the first thing that happens when the new owner takes over is he gets a real GM. So let me just, before you respond, and then I'll respond afterwards, let me just mention, um, the one team, and I went through this, and we were doing this on radio this morning, and a caller brought it up. The one team that he left out, other than Washington, that didn't do anything at quarterback is Atlanta. They're riding with Desmond Ritter, a third-round pick from a year ago. They signed Taylor Heineke, but I'm talking about that didn't make a real you know, significant move at quarterback. Um, but to, keep, to, 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 to be fair here, Desmond Ritter played the last month of the season. He didn't just play one game. He was also a third-round pick, and many people thought he could have gone earlier than the third round. We're getting into the overdrafted, underdrafted thing, so I don't want to do that uh, for much. But um, And Arthur Smith has an offense in which, you know, whether it was at Tennessee or with Mariota last year, you know, he's got the quarterback involved in a run-dominant scheme. And so they weren't going to invest a lot in a quarterback. They haven't done that with his scheme, whether it was – I mean, eventually they, they invested in Tannehill. But um, so, but he did forget Atlanta in, in that and in all of that. And I also would take exception with the Bucks trading for Mayfield like they really – I mean, I'm not a big Mayfield fan. I know he played well at the end of last year for the Rams. Um, and, you know, and by the way, the Bucs, so oh, by the way, won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and they've been a contender for a while now with Brady. And maybe they're expecting Brady to come back. But overall, Victor, it was an excellent email, and I agree with you that drafting a quarterback every year when you don't have one should be the norm. Uh, Tommy, your response to Victor's email. Well, Here's a, a quote I found going back and looking at Rivera's comments after losing to the Browns and being shocked that he, his team was now out of the playoffs. There's also a quote about the quarterback position. And basically he says that that's the one position we've got to solidify more than anything else. And a week later, <laughs> it was solidified. It was solidified, yeah. just like that. Just like that. You know, that that's just stunning. That's the one position. Remember, for, remember all last year, he'd bring up the quarterback. Yeah. Remember the famous quote that he got in trouble with? Yeah, quarterback. About, you know, when somebody asked him what your problem is, and he said quarterback. He said, "Why are you in last place, and the other three teams aren't?" And he said, "Quarterback." Quarterback. <laughs> And then he spent the rest of the week trying to explain it. 
So and and then you know, I, but but he didn't have now what what light bulb went in his off in his head? It can't be just the Dallas game where quarterback was a problem when he had this guy on his roster. Then it was a problem on this day when he said they've got to solidify that position, and now it's not a problem anymore. Right. Oh, literally nine days later, they had their off-season QB one, and they didn't have to go look for one. Um. Yeah, I. That 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 call was right. I mean, I I I would have drafted Stetson Bennett in the third round if I were these guys, and I would draft a quarterback somewhere in my draft every year. Yeah, I mean, I I just. I I want to emphasize what I've been saying for a while. There is no possible way that they can be sure that they've got the, their their quarterback of the future in Sam Howell. They can be hopeful, they can be wishful, um, and they can actually like the guy and believe in the guy more than they believed in anybody else that was on the roster last year. Would have been nice for them to have come to that conclusion a little bit earlier. They may have made the playoffs, um, but. Um, there's no possible way that they are 100% sure. And, you know, the proof is that they went out and spent more money than anybody else did on a backup quarterback in Jacoby Brissett. So, you know, a a, a veteran quarterback that can play on a team that's pretty good minus the quarterback position right now as we see it may change. Maybe Sam Howell really is the answer. Um, But in the event that they find out or that Eric Biennemi, because I think Eric Biennemi is going to be given the autonomy to make these decisions about quarterback. And if Eric Biennemi goes into this big year for him, Huge year for him. I think it's a bigger year for him, as I've said before, than Ron, who I think understands that this is probably the last year he's going to be a head coach in the league, and it, it might be okay with it. You know, I've said before, I kind of feel like he's resigned to the fact, like he's not as immersed in a lot of the detail. We've seen that in recent weeks with misstatements about various things, but whatever. Um, if Eric Bieniemy, who has to prove that he can be a head coach this year by making an offense hum without Andy Reid and without Patrick Mahomes, you know that's that's why Brissett is here, because if they get to the point where that hope and that wish that Sam Howell it was going to be the guy that that dies, they have somebody that they they can put in there that can be a professional quarterback with a pretty decent team around them and, and can, can make them competitive. I mean, they won eight games last year, people, with Taylor Heineke and Carson Wentz. So if they just get a little bit better quarterback play in a weakened NFC, no more Tom Brady, no more Aaron Rodgers, like they're going to have, you know, a chance to win nine games. Now they're in a brutal division with maybe the best team in the conference, maybe the best team in the NFL in Philadelphia. Boy, that's gotten annoying in recent days, the Howie Roseman love. Like, I, this is where my Redskins past fanaticism kind of creeps back into the conversation. I've gotten so sick of the last couple of days, everybody fawning all over the freaking Eagles. I just, I can't stand that the Eagles are like this, now this gold standard franchise, Tommy. That's the part of me that still has a little bit of fire when it comes to the hometown team. 
because that is a rival, a division rival, and we used to freaking own them. Own them. And I, I mean, I guess Howie Roseman is, uh, you know, the all-time general manager in this league. I mean, the, 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 the showering of praise over the Philadelphia organization makes me want to throw up. But I know, it, I know they are good. Let me just say, yeah, I do know that they're really good. They, <laughs> they, they seem to make better moves than everybody else right now. Yeah. Um, yes, they do. You should always be thinking about the most important position in all of sports when the people you have on your roster playing that position are A, not good, or B, you're not sure if they're good. And that's where they are. There's no way that they are convinced that Sam Howell. Like Tommy said, the comment after the Cleveland game, like I said last week to Tommy and to all of you, if they were so sure about him a year ago before the draft, why did they trade back in the fourth round instead of take him there and risk losing him? Um, I liked what I saw in the Dallas game. I did. I have no idea if he's going to be a, a real NFL starting quarterback or not. Um, but they should have drafted a quarterback. So that leads me to this. We've got a, a couple of of segues on this show from one topic just easily transitioning into the next. It is what Mike Jones told me on my radio show about what Washington was perhaps willing to do in the draft to get a quarterback early. We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, there was a lot of talk um, in the draft that, that they had made some calls about moving up uh, but you know, to number seven, I was told. But at the same time, it was a lot to give up. And then there were questions about who gets to make the call on you know, giving up so much in mortgage in the future. That was our good friend Mike Jones, who now writes for The Athletic, covered you know, the NFL for USA Today for several years, covered Washington for The Post for many years as the beat reporter. And... Um, and the Washington Times. He and the, covered the Wizards for the Washington Times. I actually didn't know that. Hmm. Yes, he did. I didn't know that. Yeah. I uh, taught him everything he knows. I'm sure you did. Um, Mike, yeah. uh, Mike was on radio with me this morning and talked about, you know, the, um, 
the the scuttlebutt, if you will, around the league that Washington was interested in moving up to the number seven spot, the Raiders spot in the draft. The conversation continued, and basically he kind of said it would have likely been for Anthony Richardson had he fallen, but he didn't. He went to you know he went at number four to Indianapolis, so that desire um, uh, diminished uh, once Richardson was gone. Now, let me just say, these things, I'm not talking about Mike specifically, but you know these things get tossed around a lot, and you end up seeing a lot of these kinds of things before the draft and after the draft, and half of it ends up being real, half of it not. I would not expect if Washington sees this, you know, what Mike said to me this morning, for them to confirm it at any, there's no chance they would do that. They, they, they would put, I mean, they've got Sam, Hal. They didn't trade up. You know, they've got Jacoby Brissett. They're fine with their quarterback room. So if it is true, I wouldn't expect for them to do anything other than deny it. But it's possible that, you know, this is just one of those things that was tossed around and sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. Mike heard it. I'm not saying that he didn't hear it, of course. Um, But I I think, you know, what's interesting about this is, first of all, the conversation that we just had after Victor's email about, you know, not uh, about being irresponsible. If they actually really were interested in going up to draft Anthony Richardson, I would applaud it because, again, they don't they aren't sure they have one. I'm not sure they have one. And you have to have one. And Anthony Richardson is a guy that I liked as a college football fan, I recognized his flaws, but clearly the NFL liked him too. There's a team that took him fourth when some people thought he could go he could go to 16. So number one, I would applaud it if it's true, um, that they were c- continued to think big about the quarterback position. You know, they thought big about Stafford after 2020. They thought big about Russell Wilson after 2021. They think they thought big after they failed on Wilson and went out and overpaid for Carson Wentz. Um, But they haven't swung big in the draft. They had a chance to in the first year with Herbert or Tua. They had a chance to last year with Pickett. You know, that may be the one more than any other that you look back on and say they should have drafted Pickett. They had a need for a quarterback. He was the best quarterback in that draft. And he went, you know, 11 picks after Washington or whatever it was. That would have been the perfect situation. You take Carson Wentz out of the equation. You start Taylor Heineke to begin the season. And then you ease in Pickett yeah. as the season goes on. That and would have been that best case scenario. Right. Um, I'm looking at it. Pickett was taken in 20. Washington had 11 originally. They wouldn't have traded back, or maybe they would have traded back and taken Pickett at 16. Who knows? Um, but um, if if this is true, number one, I applaud it. Number two, if it's true, um, it kind of says that they would have taken Richardson at 16 if he had dropped to 16. Number three is it says that what they've been saying about how absolutely optimistic and bullish they are on their current quarterback situation, they aren't sure about their current quarterback situation, which I think is the one definite true thing about what we've just talked about, is that they're not sure. I don't know if you know people have suggested what well, was a smoke screen to make them to make other teams think they were thinking quarterbacks so that at 16 maybe if Richardson was there teams would want to trade up or they would want you know to, they they would want, want to trade up for Hooker um, and they might get more offers to, to trade back whatever um, I, I if it's true then I applaud it uh, and 
it's just further confirmation that the quarterbacks they have on their roster right now, they're not sure of, which is 100% true in my opinion, that they can't possibly be 100% sure about the quarterback. Did that well, make sense? There was a lot if, of 100% in there. Yeah, if you're, a com- if you're a Commanders fan, then this should be a little bit of relief that, you know, they're not that stupid. They don't. They realize that they shouldn't be sure that they've got the quarterback number one on their roster right now. And they do have some questions about the guy. So, I mean, this is a little bit of relief. I mean, it's, it, it's also frustrating that they didn't do anything about it, but at least they're not, you know, they're not ignorant of the fact that there's re- good reason to be doubtful about Sam Howe right now. I forgot to mention one key piece of the, of the Mike Jones thing is that remember, because we talked about this at the end of last week, I think, I'm pretty sure I talked about this on Friday on the podcast with Smoot, that there was the Albert Breer report that Marty Herney was advocating to in, inside the walls in Ashburn to draft Anthony Richardson. So the two of them kind of go together, and so it gives it a little bit more you know, validity in terms of the possibility of it being true. But I think a lot of these things sometimes, you know, the experience is, you know, you end up uh, on some of these being 100% right and you end up with, you know, th- further confirmation of it down the road. And some of these things kind of go away and they're like, nah, they they threw something out early on to somebody, but it wasn't really what, um, you know, perhaps it was perceived to be. But But whatever, I mean... I just I had so I had so many people push back um, on they it, this is my favorite this this is from this is from Peter who tweeted they have to commit next year to Sam Howell to find out what they have this is what the Chiefs did with Mahomes you give them the next year are you are you, are you insane I mean. <laughs> What are you talking about? This is, to me, of all the things that we've talked about that are dumb today, and we've talked about a lot of things being dumb today from two dummies, um, what do you mean you have to commit 2023 to Sam Howell? You're out of your mind. He was a fifth-round pick. Mahomes, they traded up to select. And by the way, they knew he was great. There was no that they should have played him the year before uh, for Alex Smith. They wouldn't have been eliminated in the first round of the postseason. But they, the reason they traded up for him to number eleven in that draft is because they were so super high on him being a potential future franchise quarterback. Washington traded back in the fourth round. They weren't even thinking about how late in the fourth round. And then at the beginning of the fifth round, when they traded back, they were like, "Oh, he's still there. We kind of <laughs> liked him." I, I, I don't, you don't, if he can't do it, you don't invest 17 games in him. If he can, if there's an indication that he can do it, definitely. Because I think we know what Jacoby Brissett is. Like if there's indication that this kid's got something, then you start talking about, you know, giving him ample room to, to, to develop that talent and that, that thing that you see in him. But what if Eric Bieniemy says after the second preseason game, oh, my God, we got no shot with this kid. You think they should give him 17 games? 
That just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, that's in part that shows a fan base that's so conditioned to losing, they can just give away a year. You know, they can just say, "Up, oh, you know, let's try this this guy for a year, see what happens." You know, just give it away. It's just another year of losing. You know, not like nothing that we haven't been through before. If 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 the argument is, look, you give him 17 games, and if he can do it, he can do it, that's great. And if he can't, then you're going to suck and you're going to have a chance at Caleb Williams or Drake May. You're not – this team won eight games with Taylor freaking Heineke and his pop gun arm. Are you kidding me? They're not losing 14 games or 13 games. They're too good on defense. I mean, of course it could happen. Injuries are the thing you can never predict. And maybe the quarterbacking is so awful that, you know, they end up losing, you know, 14 games. But to get Caleb Williams right now, you've got to lose 14-plus games. That's not going to happen. You know, if you if yeah. you, and if you end up um, playing him all 17, um, you're also go- going to, you know, and he's really bad – you're going to do to the team what, you know, Jay Gruden understood what, what was happening, you know, at times with RG3, um, what what uh, what um, um, Rivera understood, Haskins, rest his soul, uh, was doing early in 2020, and that is you're losing the locker room when you're playing somebody that can't do it. I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but if that's your argument that that's why you would play him, I just don't see, you know, Caleb Williams being a possibility. Um, the teams, I, I, I mentioned this yesterday, there's all these all, you know, early mock drafts for 2024, but what's interesting to me is where they place the teams, and the Cardinals not only have their own first-round pick next year, but they also have Houston's number one pick because Houston traded with the Cardinals to get back up to number two. Uh, three to take Will Anderson. Um, right. And so almost all the mock drafts have something that looks really odd, and that is Arizona picking one and Arizona picking two. And they've got Caleb Williams and Marvin uh, Harrison Jr. Um, and so then Drake May goes in Washington. Let's say Washington has the kind of year that they had a little bit worse than last year, you know, and they play Sam Howell, and he's just average, and it's, he's not the answer, but they win six games. Now you're talking about, you know, the J.J. McCarthy's of the world of, of Michigan or the Quentin Ewers of Texas. A lot of people like him. And Sam Hartman's, uh, you know, who's going to be the Notre Dame quarterback, the Wake Forest transfer. I, I, I mean, you're not getting Caleb Williams, I don't think. Um, you, you have to lose 14 games to get that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, anything and, else? And you think the new owner is going to do that? I know Josh Harris was a big believer in the process, right, quote, right. in Philadelphia. But the NBA is not the NFL. And that Sixers franchise is not this Washington franchise. Right. That is damaged. Some people have, have met, considered beyond repair. You're not going to come in with a new owner and, and, and play that card. I just don't think you are. Once again, a show of perfect transitions. Josh Harris's two teams that he does own both won huge games last night in the NBA and the NHL. We'll get to that and a few other things to finish up the show right after these words from a few of our sponsors. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Tucker didn't want to set a screen. Harden works around it, draws the defense of Horford. Difference of two seconds, game clock and shot clock. Harden, sizing up Horford. It's a three. That was James Harden last night in Boston, game one of that series uh, between the 76ers and the Celtics. No Joel Embiid in that game. He will likely get the MVP award tonight. Um, And uh, Harden ended up with 45. We're going to talk about that in a moment and a few other things. But first, Tommy, tell us about Shelley's. Well, on Sunday, in between uh, with the XFL uh, Defenders game, as as the in between, I had a double header at Shelley's. I started out my day at Shelley's back room. That's where I went around noon. I parked my car near there and was and took an Uber over to Audi Field. So I I walked into Shelley's at, at around twelve o'clock, and you know Bob Matarazzi, the owner, he does a podcast. He does Shelley's. He does really with, with, with uh. Yes, with with a couple of my friends, uh, Keith uh, and uh, Keith Pettigrew, and uh, somebody else who I I don't recall his name, <laughs> who, who was there. Close friend. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I sat in with them and did their podcast with them. I didn't expect that, so I walked in and they do the podcast right there, like in the front, right by the window, at, at a front table. And, uh, you know, we talked about all kinds of stuff. And, and I, I, you know, I enjoyed a good smoke before uh, the Commander's game. And then after the Commander's game, Defender's game. And then after the Defender's game, I made my way back uh, via uh, Uber to Shelley's and had a post-game celebration smoke and, and uh, a great burger. Man, they have unbelievable burgers at Shelley's. You know, yesterday... 
You know, they post the daily specials uh, every day. And uh, yesterday's special, this was, this sounds like what I had, the cheesiest burger, a half pound of Angus ground chuck, mm-hmm. beef short ribs and beef brisket with Swiss and cheddar on a buttered toasted roll with, and I didn't get the onions, lettuce, and tomatoes. No, you never because have all that stuff. I, I, I don't like anything to get in the way of my meat. Right. Okay? <laughs> well. You know, except cheese. <laughs> yeah, and a bun. So, Yes, season but, of butter. bun, and that's pretty much that's pretty much it. You can enjoy a special like that, or some of the other great items they have on the menu uh, at Shelley's Back Room, thirteen thirty one F Street Northwest in the district. All right, so um... oh, the name of the podcast is called Backroom Sports, and it's on Speaker, Speaker, Specker, Speaker, Stitcher. You're talking about SP? Is it Stitcher? No, S P E A C K E R. All right, speaker. I think just with speaker. a C instead of you know the normal yeah. spelling. Um, all right, so I um, I watched again. I've been watching a lot of NBA. Um, Steph Curry was incredible. I talked about that the other day. It was a all time performance. One of the great performances. Well, it was the best performance in a game seven of all time, scoring wise. Um, Fifty. Uh, last night, Boston and Philly opened up their series against each other, Tommy. And Joel Embiid, who's going to be the MVP tonight, I'm pretty sure of it. I think he's going to win it over Giannis and Jokic. Uh, the, he's out. He's injured, and he may not be available until this weekend when they get back to Philadelphia for Game 3. Um, and last night, I mean, it, it was a foregone conclusion, you know, that Boston would beat, you know, the 76ers yeah. without without the league MVP. I mean, that's a reasonable conclusion Absolutely. to come to. Um, the point spread was 11. Uh, Boston was an 11-point favorite. And they lost the game. Um, that three by Harden with 8.7 seconds to go gave Philly the lead. And then Boston had an inexplicable last possession of the game. This guy, Missoula, is in way over his head. I mean, it's bad. Uh, and the Celtics, who should be an NBA championship contender, um, you know, lost last year in the finals to Golden State. Uh, I don't know what to make of them right now. But when you have Jason Tatum, who's got 39 points, and you've got Jalen Brown, who's your second best player, who's got 25 at that point or whatever it was, and you decide to drop your last uh, shot uh, down two um, to go to Marcus Smart, you need your head examined. Um, I, I, I don't. I don't understand what they were doing. And I love Marcus Smart. He is one of my favorite players in the league. But Jalen, uh, Jason Tatum could not be stopped. All right, Jalen Brown was 8 for 10 from the floor. It hit 23. I'm looking up the box score right now. Um, you know, it was uh, the odds of them tying the game or winning the game on the final possession with 8.7 seconds left down, 117-115, with what you had watched during the course of that game defensively by both teams was even money or better. And they went to Marcus Smart, and he turned it over, and Philadelphia won the game. So I want to just say to you about this particular game because I didn't. I think I texted you during this game. I know I texted Legler during yes, this game. Yes, you did. And you I did ju- text me. And I just said, this, this is the kind of game that gives people like Tommy incredible fodder. 
It was a (laughs) the irony is it was actually a thrilling game from a shot making standpoint and from like a closeness and tension at the end. But the game was played with no atmosphere, no urgency, no intensity, zero defense. It was a summer league game. It was treated that way by both teams for nearly three quarters of the game. And it's the opposite of what I've been watching throughout the postseason. And then on top of that, when you don't have Joel Embiid and you've got James Harden in Houston mode, which is he dribbles the life out of the basketball, there's only one person that touches it on a possession. This is what people like Tommy can't stand and I can't stand. I hate that. And all we've been watching throughout the NBA playoffs is just incredible intensity, physical, great defense, incredible passing, you know, five players being involved in the game. But with Philadelphia, without Joel Embiid, you get back to my least favorite star player in the league, and that's James Harden. He's always been my least favorite star player in the league. It's a the the game grounds to a halt. There must have been 20 possessions where he including the last one where he's the only person that touched the ball offensively. Now, he's a shot maker. He is incredible as a scorer. I don't think it's ever been points. I don't think it's ever sustainable playing that way. Um, and it's never been sustainable for him playing that way. Now, with Joel Embiid, they don't play that way all the time. They play through Embiid a lot of the time. Um, but yeah. what, what you saw last night was what people like you, um, the reason people like you have turned away. Now, not the closeness of the game, not the, you know, the, the, the shot making, but it's like all you're doing is giving the ball to one guy. Everybody else stands around and watches and then this guy, you know, tries to get himself into position to take a step back three. Um, now, if, if the defense overcommits, he'll drive by you. And the, you know, the irony about James Harden is he's really an excellent passer. I mean, he led the league in assists. But but it's it's then it becomes two man basketball if he has to pass it. I hate watching that. Hate it. And I thought last night. It was a disgusting game to watch from an intensity and from a defensive standpoint. It was terrible. And whatever uh, Missoula drew up in that final uh, shot for for Boston, and I didn't have a horse in this race. I didn't bet the game. Um, He should throw that one out because – I'm. You've got. And by the way, how about double teaming the guy that's got 42 points on the last possession when you're up one? How about making sure he doesn't hit another dagger because he really can score. I mean, there's no doubt about James Harden as just an all-time great scorer. But he's not one of my all-time favorite players because unlike Curry. He doesn't play basketball. This is more of what Tommy describes a lot of the time, which is everybody stands around and watch, watches one guy go one-on-one, and then more times than not, it's a step-back three with, by the way, the elbow you know, push-off, which is a patented Harden move, and the step-back that would have been called a walk 20 years ago. But um, other than that, um, I still think Boston wins wins this series, and I may be nuts. Maybe it's their, the maybe the coach just isn't good enough um, to to lead a team that's clearly more talented, especially without Embiid in the lineup. Uh, do you have anything to say you know, about this game? No, not about that game. I watched uh, a little NBA yesterday. I watched the uh, 
I think it was last night. Yeah, I watched it. Was it last night? The Phoenix. Uh, oh, you watched. You Denver watched. Game? Yeah. Now that was that yeah. was a more intense, you know, kind of like the playoff yeah, games that, that we've seen so far. Yeah, that was intense, and I thought Phoenix acquitted themselves well defensively, actually, in the first half. Did very well. But Jokic, he reminds me of a guy who, remember the old guy who would show up on the playground sometime <laughs> and, and want to play with you guys? We had a guy who uh, was a, drove a delivery truck, and he would show up once in a while at lunchtime down at Dansbury Park to play. And he had a big body, but, you know, he was old, and he had these old, simple moves, but nobody could stop him. You know, and that's what the joke it reminds me of. That old guy who would show up at the playground, you know, and just back you down and then just bank it in, you know? I mean, he's, he's, he's an interesting player. It, it was an interesting game to watch. Uh, so I, I watched that. And I also watched the... Uh, the uh, Devils-Rangers seventh game as well. Right. Josh Harris's Sixers uh, one, Josh Harris's yeah, Devils Josh one. Harris but hold on, hold on. I don't want yeah. I, I to move off of this because I think I've okay. made some headway with you because I've told you and I've suggested to you in the past, just give Jokic a try at least because I think you might like him. I totally agree with what yeah. you just said. They, you know, I know exactly. I can picture the guy. He just flat yeah. out can play. He doesn't look like he can play, but he can flat out no. play. I mean, Jokic last yeah. night. I mean, this is a two. Tommy, thank, welcome to Jokicville. So it's a pleasant place to be. <laughs> He's a two-time MVP. You understand that, right? I know. I know. I understand. And they won that I game know. last night with him being brilliant with with yeah. Murray. On a terrible, terrible shooting night after he could not miss in game one, which really for me tells me, like, I liked Phoenix before this series. God, I'm, I'm going to be wrong about a lot of these playoff series. I liked Phoenix. I liked the Clippers, of course. They lost Kawhi. Um, I liked uh, Milwaukee to come back against the Heat, and that didn't happen. I just told you I liked Boston, even though they lost game one. I liked Phoenix before this series started, but. Um, but Murray, you know, he was three for 16, I think. And Jokic had 39 points, 16 rebounds, you know, two block shots, three steals, you know, five, six assists, whatever it was. He's just, he's just incredible. By the way, you know, who's really playing well for them is KCP. Contavious Caldwell Pope, another guy who was with our team here, like Hachimura with the Lakers, who's playing really well in the postseason. Um, he really is shooting the ball exceptionally well. But uh, by the way, uh, 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 Jeff Green is playing really well. Also played with the Wizards, yes. the Georgetown Jeff Green. Um, yeah, yes. Denver was impressive last night, overcoming a bad shooting night by. Uh, by a guy that really led them in game one, Jamal Murray, and looked like he did when you know that year in the bubble. Um, and uh, the, the, both teams defensively were awesome, awesome in that game. So tonight, Tommy, yeah. you have Lakers Warriors game one. I I would say, without trying to be you know hyperbolic here. I think that this will be the most watched. The problem, of course, is the late-night nature of the games on the East Coast. That's going to hurt it. But this should be one of the most anticipated, most watched, and most followed non-NBA final series in 
a long, long time. I mean, I know the Sixers Celtics when they used to play like almost every year in the Eastern Conference Finals, that was almost as good as the Finals. But, you know, you've got LeBron and Davis and the Lakers against Steph and the Warriors. I mean, I like the Warriors in seven. I, I, I predicted that on, on radio this morning. I'm going to stick with Warriors in seven. But I could see the Lakers winning the series. The key for me for the Lakers is Anthony Davis. He has to be great every game, not every other game. And his inconsistency, you know, and he's let's face it, he's he's a bit soft. I mean, he gets hit around, knocked around, and then all of a sudden he's, you know, on the bench for a little while and missing time. Um, but uh, well, this, this know, should be a hell of a series. Uh, well, your basketball genius may be too much in awe of LeBron James to be able to play his best. Oh, that's right. That's what you texted me last night. Right. Tell everybody yes. what you're talking about. According to Mark Spears, <laughs> uh, Draymond Green asked the Warriors for permission to miss some of their road trip to watch LeBron James become the NBA's all-time leading scorer. That's unbelievable. And they told him no. Really they told him no. Yes, they said no. They said Steve Kerr said it would be best for Green to be with the team. So I mean, the he, night before a game in Portland, instead of going to L.A. to see James, he should have just gotten himself suspended. It's pretty easy for him to do that, and yes, then he could have gone. Him. I mean, that's unbelievable. Yes. When you sent that to me, I can't believe that. Um, what <laughs> that? I mean, the truth is, he strikes me as way too smart, genius-like, actually, to 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 come up with. Some Thing like that. That's incredible. When you consider, yeah. like, they have three lock Hall of Famers that have won, is it four titles now? Four titles, right? Yes, four titles. Um, it should have been five, but Draymond got suspended uh, in that for in that in the Cleveland uh, win. Um, but how you could possibly say, hey, I want to go watch somebody on another team break a record. I'm going to miss a couple of games. Is that okay? <laughs> that is dopish. I can imagine if you were to coach how that would look oh, over. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, look, Steve Kerr is super, you know, Mr. Progressive, you know, open-minded the whole thing. And, my God, I think he shut that down immediately. Yeah. Um, yeah. By the way, I'm just looking um, at some news on ESPN.com. The Grizzlies are not going to re-sign Dylan Brooks. This guy may have been emasculated more than any player we have ever seen in the NBA playoffs. He ran his mouth over and over again, called LeBron James old. He talked about, I poke bears, you know, um, and they got their ass kicked, and he was so cowardly not talking to media after the game. It's a shame because I actually love the way Dylan Brooks plays and defends and competes, but God, did he go out like, you know, I, I, I don't know how you sign yeah. this guy. I mean, he just embarrassed yeah. himself beyond recognition. They all did. That whole that whole team did. Sounds like, sounds like a wizard to me. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, you know, I'm hoping I'll be able to watch the game tonight because it is on late. Yeah. Because I have to get up early tomorrow because I have to have an operation. What's your operation tomorrow? Um, one of the I, we've talked about this before. Oh, you're I don't no no no. Is this the eye thing? No no no. It's oh, not the eye thing. Yeah. No, this is this is this is very calm and peaceful. Uh, I get fluid that gets stuck in my ears occasionally. Oh yeah, your ears. Yeah, and, yeah. 
and I have to get little tubes, right, tubes put in my ears, ears. Yeah. so so little so Tommy. the fluid can drain. Little Tommy, yeah, it's like tubes it's, in it's, his ears. it's a child's operation. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. <laughs> it I, ha- I had one that needed tubes. I'm pretty sure. I think. Yeah. Um, so. All right. Do we have anything else? I was just going to mention um, that I don't know if you saw this or not, but they redid the Super Bowl ratings after I don't know. I, I, I didn't get into the minutia of why the Super Bowl t- TV ratings got redone, but the new number is that 115.1 people watched the Super Bowl, making it the most watched television program of all time. Uh, it eclipses the 2015 wow. Super Bowl, which was the Patriots Seahawks close Super Bowl. Um, you know, the key is having a close – it doesn't even matter the markets, you know, Kansas City, Philadelphia. No, or not, not in the NFL. It no. doesn't make any it, difference. What matters, if you're going to set the record, is that the game's competitive and close. And that game, 38-35, was. You know, and the last one that w- that it eclipsed was that, you know, dramatic Patriots-Seahawks uh, Super Bowl as well. Um, the NFL. I was looking through a list, Tommy, of – the all-time watched uh, shows, um, uh, the most watched. Hold on, I had this list up uh, a little while ago, um, and it was interesting. Wikipedia, anyway, has the top thirty watched shows in television history. Now they include what they call news events. If you include news events, the Apollo Eleven moon landing is actually the most watched television broadcast of all time. July 20th, 1969, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, Neil Armstrong. Um, And Richard Nixon's resignation speech, August 8th, 1974. I remember where I was. I was at the Chase's house in my neighborhood. Um, We were watching that uh, with their family. Um, That was uh, number 10. But if you take the news events out, the Super Bowls own basically the top 10 spots, and then you get to the MASH Farewell, which drew 105.9 million viewers on February 28th, 1983. Wow. I remember that because they're reviewing parties. So actually, it may have drawn, it should have been a bigger number. Right. Because they were viewing parties. I went to one. I was working at the Eastern Express, and and somebody there had a viewing party, so it was probably bigger. I I never the I, numbers. I never watched Mash. That was that was not my show. Never. I wa- always enjoyed it. I always enjoyed it. Although I liked it better when Wayne Rogers was there more than Mike Farrell. Got more preachy with Mike Farrell on the show. I don't even know what that means. Just goes to show you. By the way, in the top thirty, Tommy. It's almost all Super Bowls, but there's one yeah. non-Super Bowl that's a sporting event that's in the top 30 of all time. It drew 90 million viewers on September 15th, 1978 on ABC. Do you know what it was? Yeah, Ollie uh, Spinks. Very good. The rematch. The rematch. Yes. Exactly. That's yes. number it's number 28 on the all-time list. Yeah, uh, that was on ABC. ABC. I yes. want to I mean I kind of I remember it. I mean I remember when he lost to him it was a stunner and then he came back and he beat yes. him and I mean to think that he went on and fought for like three more years after that is 
because that was yeah. not Ali anymore in 1978. No, that's the summer. One of the summers I spent with him up at Deer Lake. Oh, really? Was him getting ready for that second fight with Spinks? Yeah. Wow. That must have been. That's really cool. How many books do you have about Ali and the time you spent with him that I can get? I have no books. No <laughs> books about Ali, buddy. You've got me. You don't need the books. Mm-hmm. Did he you at- just say, just say, Tommy, tell me another Ali story. <laughs> now, here's a question for you, and I don't know the answer to it. I know that he fought Holmes in 1980. So if that was September 15th, 1978... Did he fight anybody before he fought Larry Holmes? No. No, no he retired after the second oh, big fight. Oh, right, and he retired. He came, Got it. Yes, he yes, came yes. out of retirement. King dragged him out of retirement. You know, promised him a lot of money uh, that you know he never got to fight Holmes. Uh, and I was I was up at Deer Lake a lot for that, preparing for that fight as well. That happened in October of eighty, and he took a severe beating. Oh. Uh, you know, that was so that. sad. And he fought and he fought after that. Uh he yeah, he, he fought Burbick. Trevor Burbick, exactly. And yes. what happened in that fight? He lost, right? He lost. Yeah. yeah, he lost. And then was that it? That was it, right? That was it. I mean, by all rights, he should have stopped after the third Fraser fight in seventy five. Right. But he fought about eight or nine times after that. Yeah, the Manila fight is one of the more violent fights yes. and just bringing yourself to the unbelievable extremes that you know sometimes yep. you see in sports that's about as far as Ali went like I remember I remember the Norton fight which would have been after the Manila fight at Yankee Stadium that he really lost at 76 yeah he won the yes, fight he but he really didn't win the fight um and then I don't remember oh oh he fought um who did he fight at the Capitol Center? He fought Al- Al- Alfredo, Alfredo, and, and Evangelista. No, 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 no. At the Capitol. Oh, yes, fought... at, at, at the Cap Center. Oh, I thought it was somebody else. No, he fought Evangelista at the Cap Center. Hold I'm on. almost certain. Hold on for a second. I need to look this up. Okay. Now. Okay. <sighs> Pretty sure that's right. Um. Where's the list of his fights? Here it is. Professional boxing record. Okay. Trevor Burbick, Larry Holmes, Spink, Spink, uh, Evangelista, Evangelista, Capital Center, May 16th, 1977. I thought it was, oh, Jimmy Young. He fought Jimmy Young at the Capital Center. That's the one yes. I'm, I'm remembering. April 30th, 1976, yes. he fought Jimmy Young. Um, and he uh, lost that fight too, but he, but he got a decision. Oh, you're yeah, because he, he it says he got a, he won the decision in fifteen. But you're saying like the um, like the Norton fight that he he didn't win that fight either. Yeah, yeah. So they were yeah, giving him yeah, it was the you know you got to knock the champ out, you got to knock Ali out to beat yeah. him because Evangelista. Yeah, I God, I don't remember. So he fought twice in D.C. twice at the Capitol Center. Wow, I remember yeah. the Jimmy Young thing. I I remember what a big deal it was that Ali was fighting here. Huge you know, deal, Jimmy Young was the guy who retired George Foreman in 77. He beat Foreman, tremendous upset over Foreman, and Foreman had the, the religious vision that he talks about in the locker room about the after, grill. The, after the fight and, and, uh, and retired and didn't fight for 10 years. You know, there's a, a movie out now called about George Foreman. 
His biopic is out now in really? the theaters. Tommy, yeah. to, who was it? Larry Holmes, who he was a sparring partner for Ali, right? Larry Holmes was, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, wasn't there somebody else that he fought that was really, really good uh, that was a sparring partner for him? Or am I thinking of maybe – was Jimmy Young a sparring partner well, at, for him? At, no, Jimmy Ellis was his sparring partner Jimmy many Ellis. years ago. Jimmy Ellis, got yeah. it. Yeah. And then when Ali be, was, was banned during his three-and-a-half-year ban, Jimmy Ellis fought in a tournament to, be, to take his title and wound up holding Ali's title as the uh, world champion, heavyweight but, champion. But Ali beat him. After he lost to yeah, Fraser. Yeah, well, Fraser, Fraser beat him. Okay. Fra- Fraser beat him. And then uh, and Ali eventually fought him. But Jimmy Young was a blown-up middleweight. The fact that he won the heavyweight championship is, is, is really amazing because he should have he fought at a middle, as a middleweight. Mm. So, anyway. All right. Uh, we're done for the day. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow with Cooley doing some film breakdowns of some of the draft uh, ease for Washington. You got anything else? I got nothing for you, boss. All right, back tomorrow.